To you alone belongs the highest praise. Jesus, thank you so much that however deep our shame and sin went, you reached down further. We praise you and thank you this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Do take a seat. We've started this morning by thinking about God's grace to us. Despite the depth of our sin, how kind he is to us. Let's just take a moment maybe in our own hearts to think about the many ways that he's been kind to us this week. Ways we don't deserve. We often try with our children to, to think of how many things we can thank God for. To thank him for food on our tables again, day after day. To thank him for a country where plants grow and are watered with no effort whatsoever. To thank him for roofs over our head, even ones that leak a little bit. So many things to give thanks for. Let's just take a moment of silence to think of all the ways we can give thanks. And maybe after the service over coffee, we could share some of the ways that he's been kind to us, especially this week. Well, before we uh, start to think on what our passage is about, I've got one of those uh, service announcements to make. I've been handed a slip of paper. I have to do my service announcer voice. Uh, could the owner of a Ford Focus registration FG65YF please report to the car park? You've left your rear window open. <laughs> there we go. Now that's over and done with. Very good. Uh, well, I wonder if any of you ever uh, scroll through YouTube it's a dangerous pursuit, video after video can pop up, some very surprising, but some very enjoyable, uh, and some which are called near-miss videos, which are terrifying and very hard to watch. Hopefully, in just a second, one is going to come up on the screen, videos a bit like this one. saw closely enough, it came so close, it actually clipped his shoe. His shoe came flying off across the road. Painful to watch, isn't it? You see the car coming, and you start tensing up, thinking, oh, I'm about to watch something truly, truly horrifying. For just a second, it feels like everything is about to go horribly, horribly wrong, doesn't it? But that's a little bit the feeling that we get when we open our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 2. You see, last week we saw the wise men, these magi, visit Jesus. Already only a baby, we saw he was bringing all the nations to himself already. We saw that he is the true king, the one that everyone is to worship. But hanging over this miraculous, world-changing good news was a terrifying threat. You see, not only did God's own people, even the religious people, just not respond the way they were meant to, but King Herod was looming over it all. Like a dark shadow looming over this good news, threatening to track down Jesus. 
threatening to capture those wise men and question them, threatening Jesus' life. The king has arrived. We're at this strange and extraordinary moment in history, maybe the most vulnerable moment in all of human history. If you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings films, I know we've got a few in the building. You'll remember a point quite early on where all of this band of heroes, this fellowship, have set out to save the world. But already it seems like it's all about to be lost. The most powerful of their whole team, the wizard Gandalf, has tumbled down this deep pit fighting this fiery demon. And they've just about escaped by the skin of their teeth. And they meet this elf queen, Galadriel. She looks at their ragged team and she says to them this, She says, the quest stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little, and it will fail to the ruin of all. And that's the feeling we get this morning. Jesus has come, the king, to save all of the world, but he is a tiny, weak baby. And a mighty king, Herod, is doing all he can to track him down and kill him. The quest, Jesus' great quest to save the world from our sin and our shame is on the edge of a knife. The hope of the whole world rests on him. But what indeed will happen? If King Herod succeeds, then Jesus dies and the world is left without hope, only with sin and destruction ahead of them. David is going to come up and read our passage for us. Do find it if you want to. Follow along. It's Matthew chapter 2 and beginning at verse 13. And as David reads for us, see if you can listen out. Even if you can't read yet, children, see if you can listen out for the words, so was fulfilled. It basically means it all came true. So listen out as David reads Matthew chapter 2. And beginning at verse 13. Okay. Uh, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Uh, Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Thank you, David. What a joy to get further than the Christmas passages. We so rarely get to the end of Matthew chapter 2, do we? Uh, just a note before we continue, this is an all-age service today, so if you've got toddlers or babies and they're getting restless, do feel free to use the space at the back and the stewards can draw the things across. But if there's a bit of noise, don't worry about it. Uh, we expect a bit of noise and murmurs. It's all good. Well, we start this section, as we said, with God's plan apparently on a knife edge. And did you hear the terrible, terrible threat? If you've got your Bibles open, have a look down at verse 13. It said, Herod is about to search for the child, Jesus, to destroy him. And then verse 16, isn't this a dark, dark verse to read? Verse 16, Herod became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and younger. How shocking. How evil. This King Herod feels threatened and so he's committing the most terrible crimes to try and kill King Jesus. But I wonder, as David read, maybe you heard, maybe you listened out and you heard those words, so was fulfilled. It said it in verse 15, 15, so was fulfilled. And then verse 17 again, what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And verse 23, so was fulfilled. All of God's words, all of his plans were coming true. Now, Two of those actually feel quite natural. Maybe they felt quite expected. Look at the way Matthew describes them. Verse 13, the first one we saw, it said, An angel appeared and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went. And so was fulfilled. Did you hear it? Get up and go. So he got up and went. And God's word was fulfilled. And again in verse 20, An angel of the Lord appeared and said, Get up take the child and his mother, and go. So he got up, took the child, and went. Get up and go. So he got up and went. Joseph here is a wonderful example of hearing the Lord speak and obeying faithfully, and we see God's words coming true. God's word was fulfilled. And we sort of expect that, don't we? God gives a command, the people obey it, and what God said would happen, happens. But have a look down at verses 16 and verses 17. Because this one comes as a little bit more of a surprise. I'm going to take a leaf out of Ollie's book from last week, and I'm going to ask this as a multiple choice question. So hopefully it will pop up on the screen. First question is this. How did Herod respond to the news of Jesus the King? Well, have we got it there? Is it not there? Oh, dear. Okay, fail. Right, we're going to do this orally. All right. How did Herod respond? Did he, A, worship Jesus like the wise men? Did Herod, B, accept that God's plans were different from his? 
or did he C, do mass murder? Hands up for A. Hands up for B. All right. Good listening. Hands up for C. Correct. Herod hears this news of Jesus the King, and he responds not with worship, not with acceptance, but turning to murder. Very different to the response of Joseph. And the second question, what did his actions, what did Herod's evil actions do to God's plans? Did Herod's actions, A, slightly get in the way with them, so God had to come up with a slightly different plan? B, literally nothing, God's plan still came true. Or C, ruin them completely and make God's plans fail. So A, did they slightly get in the way so God had to change his plans? No. B, did they do literally nothing so God's plan still came true? Very good. It was B. Herod orders the murder of probably dozens of young boys. And what was said through the prophet Jeremiah is fulfilled. Maybe we expect when Joseph obeys perfectly that God's word is fulfilled. But here we have an evil king raging against God's plans, trying to tip the hope of the world off that knife edge. And even then, what God said through the prophet Jeremiah still came true. When God's people do what God commands, his plans come true. And when people go against God's commands and try to destroy his plans, still God's plans come true. And actually, more than that, when God's enemies fight against his plans, they are unwittingly bringing his plans to come true. Now, that's really complicated, and maybe that raises questions in your mind. If you've got those questions, do come and chat afterwards. I probably don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but I'd love to chat through them. When people obey God, his plans come true. When people rage against him and disobey him and do all sorts of terrible things, even then, God's plans come true. We see that here, don't we? In Jesus' early years, Herod's doing atrocities. And yet these words, spoken hundreds of years before, come true through those terrible actions. We see that all the more, don't we? At the end of Matthew's Gospel, as Jesus is, is, commit, is nailed to a cross, as he's put on trial and accused of something that, well, was true, but unfairly. People do atrocious things and nail the Son of God, the one who came to save him, to a cross. And actually, as they do that, God's plan to save everyone who turns to him comes true. Even when the hope of the world is under attack by the most powerful forces, God's plans still come true. And that's wonderful, isn't it? I don't know about you, but... Some days I feel like I've obeyed God's commands. I've had a, a good day. I've enjoyed being close to him, being his child. And when that day comes, praise him. His plans are coming true. But some days, 
I look at my life and I wonder, am I even a Christian? How can I do these things when I've been saved from my sin? And do you know on those days, his plans are still coming true. However hard it is to believe. We're going to think a bit more about what this means for each of us in a few minutes. <laughs> what good news that our God always keeps his promises. They never, ever fail, even when his enemies fight against them. But maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you think, that's all well and good. But my life has gone terribly wrong. And I know people whose lives have gone terribly wrong. What on earth is going on there? We're going to start uh, this section looking at a few pictures of people. Uh, and I'm going to ask if any of you can tell me who they are. It starts off almost impossible, then gets easier, and then it's still quite hard. So <laughs> it's going to be a challenge. Right, anyone know who this is? I will, I will be overwhelmed if anyone knows who this is. No worries. I will give you his name. His name is Johnny Dobbs. And can anyone guess where did this guy's life go wrong? Where did he go wrong? What do you think he did? Other than fashion sense. <laughs> Christopher, what do we reckon? Um, good guess. He wasn't a murderer. Any other guesses? Yeah, next to Christopher. I don't know your name. Thomas, what do you reckon? Die in smoke and fire. Goodness me, good guess, but I don't think he did. Any other guesses for what he might have done wrong? No. Claire, you've got a guess? Oh, great guess. I used the Titanic a few weeks back. Maybe that's why you thought. No, he didn't. This guy was a bank robber in the Wild West. He was, uh, this is one of those classic old criminal photos for a bank robber. Now, some of you might be able to get this next one. This is a tricky one. Anyone know who this is? I'm looking at the Europeans in the room. Anyone? No. All right. I'll tell you the name, and then I reckon some of the grown-ups can tell me what she did wrong. Her name is Ulrike Meinhof. Anyone know Ulrike Meinhof? Any guesses? Karin. The Bader-Meinhof group. Gang. They were a gang of terrorists in Germany. My goodness, the plans for her life seemed to get messed up. She became the leader of a terrorist organization, sending off bombs and hurting all numbers of people. Terrible, terrible life. Final one. This one looks a bit older. Does anyone know? This could be anyone born before 1900, couldn't it? <laughs> they all look the same. Any guesses? Jonathan. John Wesley, good guess, not him. Ah, oh, bingo, John Newton. Can anyone tell me where his life went wrong? What terrible things did this man do? Philippa. He was the captain of a slave ship, dragging men and women away from Africa, locking them in horrible tight boxes in ships and taking them over to other countries to sell them treating them like they were objects. A terrible, terrible life. These people did terrible, terrible things. They all did things that broke God's commands and hurt other people. 
If you're trying to work out God's plan for their lives, it seems pretty obvious that the plans for them have all gone horribly, horribly wrong. And final picture, what about you and me? What about God's plans for your life, God's plans for my life? I wonder whether you've got any sense that God has a plan for your life. And if he does, I wonder if you've got a feeling of how well it's going. If you take a look around the world today, you might well think that the whole world has gone wrong. If God's plans haven't failed already, then surely they are on a knife edge. There is crime everywhere. There's more slavery today than there has ever been in this world. And more and more countries seem firmly opposed to God's commands. I wonder if any of you know what the most dangerous places in the world are at the moment to be a follower of Jesus. Any guesses? Lizzie? North Korea, number one. Yeah? Christopher? India, very dangerous. Top ten. Yeah, Bryn? China, very dangerous. I don't think it's in the top ten yet, but very, very dangerous place to be. Alyssa? Afghanistan, top five. Well done. All good guesses. All these countries, mainly Middle East, Indian subcontinent, North Africa, unbelievably dangerous. If you follow Jesus, your life is at risk every single day. You may well be looking around if you live as a follower of Jesus in that country thinking, God's plans, I'm not sure if they are coming true. Maybe even living in a country like ours, where Christianity seems just increasingly despised and we feel more and more pressurized just to be silent and stop talking about this nonsense that people don't want to hear. This nonsense that people think is, is actually more and more offensive. Maybe you look at that and you think, what on earth is going on in God's plans? People are attacking and pushing against God's plans, but God wants us to read Matthew 2 and to know as we see these things going on around us, my plans are still coming true. They have not failed. If they still came true under the violent cruelty of King Herod, under the violent cruelty of Pharaoh, under the violent cruelty and injustice of Pontius Pilate, they are still coming true today. But maybe you look closer to home and you see the churches in our country looking weak and broken and unstable. So many churches turning completely away from what God has commanded to what the world says they should be doing. So many people who've committed to lead God's people, leading them away from Christ and to a false gospel. Or other churches holding fast to sound doctrine, but ignoring his command to care for the poor and the vulnerable, sitting on their doorstep. God's plans for the church seem so glorious when we read the New Testament, but maybe you look at the church and you think, goodness, his plans, they seem to be failing. But Matthew 2, we are to read it and we are to say, absolutely not even as church leaders and whole denominations turn away and actually begin to fight against God's commands like King Herod. 
God says, they cannot stop my plans coming true. My plans for the church are still coming true. It is hard to see that sometimes at the moment, but that does not mean that it is out of God's hands. But maybe contemplating the fate of the church or the world seems too grand a thing for you this morning. Maybe you're sitting here or sitting at home and you're feeling certain that if God ever did have a plan for you, if God had some plan A for your life, well, there's no doubt that you have messed it up good and proper. Maybe other people in your life have hurt you deeply. They've caused irreparable damage to your life. Maybe circumstances. This year you've lost your job, you've lost work, maybe you've been ill, you don't have enough money to get by, and it seems like what on earth has happened to these plans? Maybe there's no one else and nothing that you can blame. Maybe you have just turned to sin so badly and so many times it feels like God has given you so many chances and you have blown it again and again and again. God's grace is not cheap. It is right that we should feel guilty for our sin and he calls us to turn from our sin and to Christ. But do not for one second this morning think that you have managed to ruin God's plan for your life. King Herod turned to mass murder and he could not stop God's plan from coming true. And he wants us to see this and he wants us to see that his plans do not fail. God has a plan for your life. And if you have failed and you've messed up your life beyond measure, do not think for one second that you have ruined his plan for your life. God does not have a plan B or a plan C for your life. With God, it is always a plan A. Even if that plan includes mess and mayhem, in God's hands, in the scale of eternity, mess and mayhem are turned to majesty. His plans are very hard to understand, and we usually don't know what he's doing. But you have not made them fail. God's plans do not fail. Children, young people, it may be that over the next one year, two years, five years, ten years of your life, some strange and confusing and sad and frustrating things are going to happen to you. You've lived through a weird couple of years. We all have. And we do not know, none of us know what the next few years hold. But you can know that when those weird and strange and sad and confusing things happen, when one day you obey the Lord and you praise him, and the next you miss that opportunity to speak for him, you deny his name, you break every command you know, if you are in Jesus, then God will never let you go and he will never give up on you. He has a plan for you, and that plan will not fail. 
You are up and down and all over the place. I am up and down and all over the place. But God's plans are never up and down and all over the place. His plans come true. God's plans will always, without fail, come true for the world, for the church, and for you. We have a God who is good and true and always keeps his promises. And so he is the God that we must come to and pray to. The God we must come to and ask for his help and praise him and give thanks. And Colleen is going to come up now and she's going to lead us in our prayers to that God.